0: RotoriseFantasy.com. Are you ready to rise? What does that even mean? Yeah, what? You want me to rise? Welcome to the Rotorize Fantasy Baseball Podcast, your source for daily, fast-paced, hard-hitting fantasy baseball news and analysis. You don't know anything about baseball. You're filling in for somebody. It's time to rise in your fantasy baseball standings. Now, here's your host, Joel Manchak.
1: Welcome everybody to the Rotorize Fantasy Baseball Podcast. This is episode number 34. Make sure to give that Rotorize a follow on Twitter and please as always guys take a moment and rate and review the podcast. It'll help us rise in the podcast charts. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Tune in. Um, you know, thank you for those that have already left a review. Uh it, it's a big help. Today's episode we have Joe Pizzapia, one of the legends in in fantasy sports. Joe hosts a fantasy sports radio show on the fantasy sports network. Uh, He's on uh, the rotor daily podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, Joe. Yeah. Happy to be here, Joel. Thanks for asking me, man. Did, uh, did I miss anything on that list there? I know you're doing a lot right now.
2: (laughs) Uh, well, the new fantasy football black book just came out. So uh, that'll be number 10 in the whole black book series. Uh, so that's available right now on Amazon, which is great. Also at number one on fantasy sports, that's the 10th straight, uh, Book between baseball and football in the last six years, so that's available out there. But yeah, fantasy radio keeps me busy enough. So does rotowire and all this other stuff, plus kids. So uh, certainly busy, but not too busy to to hang out and talk baseball in a podcast. So I'm happy you have me over.
1: Yeah, great. So yeah, I was gonna mention the, the Black Book. Um, you know, you've got bestsellers. You know, pumping them out. Um, tell us a little bit about that book specifically. What what do you cover in that? How is that book a little bit different? You know than other fantasy resources that people might uh, might find.
2: Well, the the real separator there, and it's really hard nowadays because everybody everybody's a quote unquote expert, everybody's an analyst, everybody does all these things and their rankings and their opinions. And and you know if you can do it colorfully, that's great. But the thing that I've done, which is different, is the Black Book works with this tool called Relative Position Value, which is basically a tool that really lets you know how much better a player is than another player at that same position. You know, we always talk about rankings and this guy, like this guy more than that guy or what projections are going to say, but that's not nearly as important as understanding what a player's true value is. And that's what RPV relative position value does. And, um, it works for baseball, works for football, works for different types of leagues. It works for different sorts of depth of leagues. And that's what makes it so unique is that it's completely adaptable. And it's not enough to understand just, you know, how, you know, if I like this player more than this one, it's important to know just how much. And what it does is it quantifies position scarcity. And it lets you also know where the players are who are negative, who are below the fantasy league average, and how much and how having those guys on your team or drafting those guys in the wrong place will actually hurt your roster. Because fantasy sports is about me outperforming you as much as I can from as many spots as I can, from as consistently as I can. And that's what RPV does. It teaches you how to do that teach you how to make trades, teach you how to manage your roster, how to draft the whole thing for every sport. So um, Yeah. What
1: I really cute. like about it, Joe, is it, it just makes it so simple. I mean, yeah. you, you just, um, you're able, you know, fantasy sports is so complicated. You, you know, you've got projections, you've got all these things. And, and what it does is it just simplifies things uh, for the fantasy owner. So I, I really like uh, what you're doing there. One of the things I wanted to pick your brain on though, is um, you're obviously doing baseball. You're obviously doing football you know, there, a lot of the, our listeners are, are doing the same. So how do you balance uh your football pre-draft prep and also, you know, keep an eye on the second half of, of the fantasy baseball season?
2: It's difficult. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really hard thing to do. And I think what you, you know, being on the radio every day makes it easier Yeah, uh, because it forces you to be keyed into things that are going on. So that's, that's a big help you know for the you know the last 5 years I was hosting at Sirius and I just left to the work last year for the fantasy sports network and that helps uh but it is a balance and there are some things and some guys that are going to get past you. you know that's just something you have to throw your hands up and realize that if you have a life on top of that and I got two kids so on on mm-hmm. top of covering the, the multiple sports you're going to miss some things so don't be too hard on yourself once in a while when it does but you know yeah. the best thing you can do is i i find to uh, you know if you're staying up on those things or I learn from the other people that I work with, I like to listen to what they say about different players and, and that's a way for me to stay tuned in. So, you know, when you have a spot like fantasy radio that's free and on demand, you can listen to it. That's great because you don't have to pay a subscription and that's a way that if you're at the gym or doing stuff, you can stay tuned into the players you need to be ahead on for fab here in the second half of the baseball season. Or, you know, if you're doing, trying to get into football right now, but your baseball teams are doing well, that's, that's the thing you got to learn to manage. But look, th- there's time. You set the time for each. And some people this year for baseball, I'm sure they're ready for football. Sorry. Yeah. It's been a rough baseball <laughs> year.
1: <laughs> with all, with all the injuries, man, it's just been crazy. So, um, yeah, that, that's good advice. I, I think for me, it's this, this is a time for me to, to make a jump in my, in my fantasy baseball leagues. You know, focus is kind of shifting to football. And this, you know, gives an opportunity for, for some arbitrage where you're able to maybe make a, a jump in your fantasy baseball league for players that have kind of shifted their focus a little bit. So maybe work a little bit harder and uh, see if you can jump them in the standings a little bit there.
2: It's a great point. I actually have a real opportunity there because there are some people who are going to check out in those season long roto leagues. That's an opportunity that if you pay attention, you can move up some standings and who knows, depending on what your league pays out or how it works maybe make some uh, cashback
1: yeah well let's talk some uh some fantasy baseball here the the new york yankees have really taken to this uh this going young approach they call up uh tyler wade uh starling castro heads to the dl uh wade's kind of a, a jack of all trades as far as position goes he's had 12 games at second 10 at third base 43 at shortstop that's the most and he played uh about five games uh, across the outfield in different outfield positions. The Yankees kind of view him as a Brock Holt, Ben Zobris type. Um, he can steal some bases. Are you interested in Tyler Wade?
2: Uh, I'm not, and I think that's a really good, actually, comp. there is Brock Holt, uh, a guy who can play different positions and a guy who does have speed. Tyler Wade's a guy who's shown zero power. In minor league, His plugging percentage, if memory serves, is somewhere around 350. So that, that's not good. Uh, although, you know, I, I do believe in the speed. I do think that's a real tool. I think Wade is a guy that outside of, you know, you got to go deeper than the 12-team league to get me interested in Wade. Because I also think it's a short-term thing where just because he's going to be in the mix doesn't mean he's going to be starting every day either. I think Ref Snyder will get to start there at second. He'll play around with him a little bit. So Wade in the deeper leagues, yeah, maybe you get a couple extra stolen bases out of him for a couple bucks. But I don't think in 10 or 12-team leagues, Tyler Wade's going to help you all that much.
1: Yeah, one of the hardest things to do in fantasy baseball is understanding, you know, when a prospect, a when a prospect is going to get the call, and then once the prospect gets up, you know, what's his staying power and what's his playing time going to be like. Those three things combined are so many variables that make it very difficult to to evaluate a, a prospect, and it's the same thing with Tyler Wade here. I agree with you. I think he's more Brock Holt than Ben Zobrist in as far as, you know, the playing time and the role. Uh, you know, I don't think he's going to get every day at bats, but uh, I I think he can add some value in some deeper leagues, 15 team AL only uh, leagues moving forward. So, Joe Cole Hamels, um, he returns from the DL. He gets shelled. He only makes it through four and a third innings. Gives up seven earned runs and only strikes out one. Uh, congrats to all those who held and picked him up for for name value's sake. You know, when he was on the DL. I, I don't know. This guy's garbage to me. Um, on the season, he, uh, he he's really struggling. A 4.38 ERA, which is actually better than what it should be. And he's only striking out 3.89 guys per nine innings right now and walking the exact same number, 3.89 per nine innings there. The only thing that's saving him is, is suppressing the home runs, um, 0.97 per nine innings there. But a- am I being too hard on Cole Hamels here? Well,
2: I don't think you're being too hard on him. I think you're telling the truth. Uh, I, I would say this. Cole Hamels has been a guy that's been a very solid 1A, number two type starter for over a decade in fantasy now. And that and that means something. And I'm not willing to start him quite yet. This is not the return we were hoping for, but he also hasn't pitched in a long time. And you're not sure, okay, is he is he rusty or is this, you know, the injury really taking its toll or all these innings catching up to him? It could be a lot of factors. Cole Hamels was pretty good last year. The problem with Hamels last year was that the road ERA was bad. The road ERA was somewhere around a four and a half, and the home oh, excuse me, the uh, excuse me, the home ERA was somewhere around four and changed The road he was very good, so he was very much a matchup pitcher last year. So that was something had to keep in mind. I would give Cole Hamels through July before I'm really starting to, you know, worry about discarding him because chances are you're desperate for pitching this year, and chances are right now. You're in a spot where you waited all this time for Cole Hamels. You might as well wait to see what he can give you, and you got to hope that he can contribute something. Because if he gives you nothing here down the stretch, you know then it's been a complete waste of season. I'm not ready to write off the veteran yet. I'm troubled. I'm concerned, but I'm not discarding him.
1: Yeah, I, I think if you're going to hold on to him, I don't think you start him until we see some pro- some progress. Um, you know, with the walks and the K's. I mean, the, he's just not striking out people and he's walking a lot of people. And, you know, you've got that blow up potential at every game for him right now. And I, I, I mean, I, I'd sit him on the bench, um, until he starts, starts to show some, some progress for sure. Jordan Montgomery throws a gem yesterday. He goes seven innings, one earned run, eight Ks. He's now at a 3.53 ERA with an eight seven one K per nine through 14 starts. Would you take Cole Hamels or Jordan Montgomery? Well, I'm going to take Montgomery
2: because that Montgomery happens to be a guy I believe in. Now, I will say this. I am worried about Montgomery in the second half. As everybody should be. As he continues to get more exposure in the league as he continues to, you know, tire with his first full major league season. But Montgomery was a guy I was in on very early, uh, you know, even before the season started as a guy that used to be speculating a starter for the Yankees, strikeout potentials there. And it's a team that's played very well so far, and it can, a team that I think is going to continue to add pieces because of where they are in the family. So for me, Montgomery is the guy that I want because there's enough questions with Cole Hamels right now. But if you told me by the end of the year that Cole Hamels would be the guy that you know I'd want come August, that wouldn't shock me either. But right now, you got to take what, what you got. And what you have right now is a healthy Jordan Montgomery. who's pitching well. And that's more than I can say for Hamels, who we're not sure if he's healthy, and he's certainly not pitching well right now.
1: Yeah, Hamels is owned in 86% of ESPN leagues, and Jordan Montgomery is only owned in 45% of ESPN leagues. So there uh, is a lot of fantasy owners that might be able to make that switch uh, for sure. So, Joe, Jed Jerko is kind of like, I I was thinking about this analogy, like you're, you're going to a movie, you're really excited about it, you grab some popcorn, and you sit down and there's some good action. But at the end of the movie, you're, you're sitting there wondering, like, you know, where's the storyline? There's not much substance there. And this was Jed Jerko last year. He had 30 home runs and only 59 RBIs. Um, how is that even possible? Uh, I, I'm I'm not sure. I was looking it up. Rob Deere, um, I forget the year, but he had 32 home runs and 64 RBIs. That was the lowest number of RBIs um, with hitting 30 home runs. And so that's Jed Jerko, but this year he's been a little bit better in, in the RBI category with the home runs. He has 12 home runs; hit his 12th yesterday. He's got 35 RBIs, and the steals are nice. Uh, he, he's thrown in three steals, and the average is nice at 298. Um, is the sequel uh, uh, going to be better than the the first showing?
2: Well, I would say this: I think the batting average is shocking. The fact that he's uh, around 300 is. I don't know whether to be running the other way or if we're seeing now a 28 years old a guy, Jed Jerko, finally coming into the zone. Cause you know, we forget back with the Padres that Jerko was a guy that they were relying on with Chase Headley to be the guys to kind of take them into that next sphere of Padres baseball and it never happened. And Jerko last year got an opportunity and he made the most of it from the power standpoint. This year you draft him for the power. Power has been good, slugging over 500. The fact that the batting average has been 298 so far this year, that is astounding and a huge bonus. So right now, if you're a Jed Jerko owner in Roto, you love it. He's a guy that's frustrating in head to head because of playing time and when's he playing this, you know, that becomes a little bit more complicated. But season long Roto, Jerko's been a, a fantastic asset considering where you got him.
1: Another player who's provided quite a bit of value, Gio Gonzalez puts together a nice outing. He goes six innings, one earned run, eight Ks. He does walk five, but um, only two hits against uh, the Cubs. I mean, the Cubs aren't the Cubs of last year, but they're still, they still got some hitters there. And he's having a tremendous year, 2.87 ERA, 95 Ks. So he's pacing at about, a, you know, 200 Ks on the year with 100 innings. Um, so he could have 200 Ks and 200 innings at the end of the year. He's also third in all of baseball with 12 quality starts. Do you see regression coming for Gio Gonzalez?
2: I do because I've seen enough Gio Gonzalez in my old age here where I, I know what Gio Gonzalez is, <laughs> which is a guy that has runs in him. Now, this is one of the better runs he's ever had I grant, and, and maybe he comes away with a career year because this sustains, and that's very possible. But if you have to ask me which way I'm putting my money, I'm putting my money on the Gio Gonzalez who walked the ballpark Showing up at some point in time and him struggling the second half. I'll tell you this much. If you could package a Gio Gonzalez and somebody else and bring back a big time arm, I would absolutely do that. So uh, I would think to sell high on Gio Gonzalez and, and bring back some, you know, some other pieces. You probably have to pair him with somebody. But Gio is a great trade chip right now because he is performing well above his expectations, I think, for even the, even the sunniest Gio Gonzalez, owner this year, did not necessarily see uh, a ERA under three coming.
1: Yeah, almost a two full run difference between his xFIP and ERA, um, and he's walking four guys for nine innings. Um, you know, the the only thing that's saving him is uh, similar to um, you know the guy we were talking about before, uh, Cole Hamels, with uh, limiting the home runs. One point one seven home per runs per nine. But that left left on base percentage of 85.7%. Um, you know, that's not sustainable. And yeah, I mean, I think uh regression is definitely coming for Geo, and that's a great point in, in trying to uh move off him right now and the the run that he's had. Cash in on that uh right right now. Bradley Zimmer, I, I thought this guy had a strikeout problem, um, you know, coming in the league. Instead, he's striking out less than what he did in triple A. He's already up to four home runs and seven stole, stolen bases through 116 plate appearances. Uh, it's been a little bit over a month since he's been called up. and In the last 30 days, he's ranked 36th on the player radar for outfielders and 114th overall. Um, can we count on this type of production all year? Are you Bradley Zimmer guy? I
2: love Bradley Zimmer. I think he's a fantastic talent. I don't think you can count on this all year. And this is exactly what happens with many, many prospects is the best part to own them is that first go around the league. And then the second time around the league, people start to figure them out. Once pitchers realize where your weaknesses are and start pounding the zone, that's when, you know, the regression happens. It happened to Michael Conforto. It happened to Schwarber this year. He got sent down. It happens to a lot of really good, talented young players. Now, I expect Zimmer to continue to be a guy that's going to show you some power and speed. So in Roto, nah, not so much of an issue. In head-to-head categories and head-to-head points leagues, I think especially Zimmer might become a liability in the head-to-head points leagues down the stretch. So in keeper leagues, Zimmer's a terrific asset. I think Zimmer's the real deal. I think he's going to be the uh, the lockdown outfielder there for quite some time. And I, I think you've got to be really happy with what you've seen so far. And And there are occasions where a guy does make strides at the major league level and does show improvements to his game. You mentioned that strikeout rate. But... I don't necessarily want to think that Bradley Zimmer can fix everything with a magic wand all in a short little span here because I'm sure at some point he's going to have to learn to make adjustments. And then we'll see what Bradley Zimmer's really made of. And I think right now you've seen the best of him. You haven't seen the worst. And there's a good chance you're going to see some down weeks from Bradley Zimmer coming up.
1: Soon. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So, you know, as uh, the book gets out on him in a little bit, you know, that strikeout rate might rise uh, you know, Zips has him at rest of the season at 34%. He's at 25.9% right now. So they definitely see some, uh, that's the increase gap. in the strikeout percentage.
2: Yeah, that's a big gap that they have a difference of. And yep. I, even if it's somewhere in the, if it's somewhere in the middle, you take that, but if it goes all the way the Zips projection, that's concerning.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Rich Hill has a, has a nice night last night. He goes seven innings, three runs, seven Ks, two walks. This is two good outings in a row for him. He's owned in 59% of ESPN leagues. We know the potential's there and we can't forget about last year, Joe. I mean, he was, he was really, really good. And I know it's been frustrating to own him this year, but there may be an opportunity, uh, you know, to have some value here, uh, with, uh, with Rich Hill. Um, are, are you buying back in on him?
2: I'm not. And if you own Rich Hill, this might be your one spot to get out. And I'll tell you why. You know, Rich Hill actually came up at the same time as Cole Hamill, and they both had kind of the same kind of promise. And a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, I remember winning a fantasy championship with both of those guys their rookie year of my rotation. And I'll tell you this much: Rich Hill. It's not about talent. It's not about determination. It's about health. And he's a guy that's never been healthy. He's a guy that's always struggled. To fish deep in a game. He's got these chronic blister issues. There's so many downsides to Rich Hill. That I just think you're much better off getting out of the Rich Hill business in it. I understand the strikeouts are tantalizing. I get that. If you're in a points league where strikeouts are worth two points, I get why you might want to try to roll the dice in a deeper league with him. But uh, I'm sorry. I, I would like to move on with Rich Hill and this might be your best option.
1: Yeah. I mean, he was, he was setting records for, uh, you know, not going deep into games. He hadn't, he didn't go over five innings in his first uh nine starts of the season. This was his first start, this last one where he went over five innings. So it's definitely concerning. Um and I've talked about it on the podcast before, you know, the Dodgers tendencies on, you know, maybe doing some piggybacking here or there, where, you know, they they only ask their starters to go four or five innings and then they bring in another starter. And so I mean it's I I see a couple good games. I, I would be more interested in the daily format. And you could probably speak to that a little bit better than me, but on the daily side, you know, uh, hitting on that K potential, um, but, but not having on the vest. daily
2: side with Rich Hill, Joel, is the fact that he's not going to, even on the good games, the strikeouts will be there, but the bridge to the win is so far yeah. because he doesn't pitch deep enough in the games. And on the FanDuel side with the quality starts in play, you're not going to get that either a lot of the times with Rich Hill. So that's why he becomes a infuriating guy because... The daily game and the season-long game, he's just not available enough, whether it's game-to-game game or start-to-start start or missing periods of time. There's so many downsides with Rich Hill that really he's a guy I can't buy into anyone. Anyway.
1: So last year, I mean, he, he did okay going to, in, in deeper into games. I mean, he he had a bunch of starts. I mean, I'm just off the top of my head here. It looks like about 20 or so of, uh, well, no, about 15. Uh, he went six or deeper. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, um, you know, like you said, the strikeouts are tantalizing and maybe he can, uh, put some of these shorter outings behind him and, and move forward. Th- this last, last game was a little bit, um, you know, it was definitely a good sign, but, um, I'm not ready to jump fully in, but I'll, I'll dip the toe a little bit uh, on Ridge Hill.
2: Well, I hope you don't get frostbite. That's all <laughs> I know. <hope. laughs>
1: So Cam Bedrosian. Last night, the the Angels used Cam um in the seventh with a three run lead. It would have been David Hernandez for the save, but a home run pushed it to a four run lead. Should owners be blowing their fab money and waiver order on David Hernandez? No,
2: I don't. I don't think that's the route you want to go quite yet. I, I think you you stay true there. It's funny though. We were just talking on my show about uh, the the Texas Rangers situation and. This goes back to Fantasy Blackbook one oh one, which is when something is scarce, it doesn't become less valuable, it becomes more valuable. And every year people wanna make this case to I'll just find saves or whatever and I don't want to pay for one of those top closers. But it's funny, if you're paying and owning guys like Chapman or Jansen, I know Chapman had the injury this year, or you know, even Craig Kimbrell in the bounce back this year, the elite guys are the elite guys for reasons. And being able to hold that fab and spend it on their places instead of this constant rotation of the narresses of the world and who's closing in Pittsburgh now and who's closing in, in, you know, Los Angeles. It's, it's, it's tricky here. And I think that Norris has pitched well enough where he deserves that opportunity to have that job the rest of the year when he comes back. And, you know, Medrosian I think is a guy that certainly is a guy you would think for the future, but it's hard. Managers tend to always go with the older guy is what I find. They yeah, tend to go with the more. Especially Sosha.
1: I mean, he's kind of a veteran yeah. veteran guy. 40% of closers lose their job, you know, from, from season's end to, to the end of the year. And, you know, that may be true, but if you, if you break out maybe the top 10 closers and, and run those numbers on the top 10 closers, um, you know, if they lose their job based off in, injury or performance, I think that number is a lot lower, you know, for, for the, the top 10 guys. So maybe invest in the top guys and, you know, pass on, on the middling, to low guys, uh, it should be yeah, maybe the, the, the strategy. range to low
2: guys that'll kill you. Yeah, so those mid-range guys that you're hoping for will kill you. Either either go all the way to the top or just go all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum, wait it out, and then play the waiver wire as hard as you want. But going in the middle, that's where closers kill you.
1: So I'm getting a lot of questions on Twitter about Carlos Gonzalez. He has the right shoulder strain. He hits the DL. He's having a really uh, tough season. Uh in 221, uh, only six home runs, one steal, only 20 RBIs on the season. And he's had the plate appearances. I mean, this is the first time on the deal for him. I don't know. I mean, I get a lot of questions about dropping him. Is he droppable in 10-team leagues for you?
2: In 10-team leagues, I can understand dropping him. But outside of that, I don't think I would. In fact, I'd be buying him wherever I could, especially if I have a DL slot available. Because the best thing I think for Cargo to do right now is go on the DL, clear his head, get help. And if he can do that, the job is going to be waiting for him when he gets back. David Dahl has been, uh, God knows when he's coming back, if at all this year, the way that's going to be going. So, Cargo's a guy that, you know, as bad as he's been, it's another one with track record that I buy into enough where I'll take cheap Carlos Gonzalez. If you're going to drop him, I'll be the first one to pick him up.
1: So, I saw something on um, um, Ahmed Rosario getting called up, and they had like, it's 2021, and Ahmed Rosario is is still trying to get called up, and I kind of feel <laughs> that same way with with David Dahl. Is like it's 2021, and David Dahl is is still trying to get back from his injury. and the oblique
2: yeah. is still hurt. Yeah, <laughs> still the bad oblique. Yeah,
1: the Nationals steal seven bases tonight. Trey Turner has four of them. He's now leading all of baseball. Side note: Miguel Montero is now one for 32 on the season for throwing out would be base stealers. Um so get your base stealers in against uh against Miguel Mon- Montero. Um but as far as Turner, he's had an average he had an average draft position of 17 in the ESPN leagues. Going into the game today, he was the 19th ranked player on the player radar. After the four steals today, I think he'll likely probably be around the top 15 tomorrow once those update. It's a good reminder of how valuable steals are and you talk about uh, scarcity um uh, Do you think uh, Trey Turner gets 55 bags this year, over-under on that?
2: I'm going to go slightly over on the 55. I think he can do it. It's going to be tough because of the time he missed. But, uh yeah, Turner's become very valuable because, especially a guy like Jonathan Villar, who had a huge total last year and had some power along with it, is completely bottomed out and came back today and wasn't even in the lineup.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, that, that's a good comp. Last year, Velar was, I think, fifth on the player radar for ESPN, you know, because of the 62 bags, I think is what he got. And he had, did have 19 home runs. So Trey Turner could provide those type of numbers. He's at 32 right now. And, um, you know, I could see him getting, you know, uh, 30 more the rest of the season. And so, you know, that would put him at about the same mark as Villar. And, um, that, that swings right into our next segment on, uh, on Brewers. They, they get two big bats back tonight. Villar and Ryan Braun returned from the DL. They had a very similar ADP. Um, and you know, which one do you think returns best, best value rest of the season? Well, I'm going to have to
2: say Braun based off track record and historically, because Right now, Velar's a on the outside looking in, where Valar might not be an everyday player right now, the way Sogard's played, the way they've shown some depth there. Now, injury could change that, or performance could change that, but right now, I'd have to say Braun, because historically, I've seen enough of Braun, and hopefully, this is the usual Ryan Braun DL stint you get every year, and that's already over and passed now, and hopefully you can have Ryan Braun the rest of the season healthy.
1: So what are you doing with Jonathan Villar? Six uh, home runs, like I mentioned, and he's got 14 steals on the year. He's batting 213. Like you said, he, he may start to lose a little, little bit of playing time. Um, what are you doing with him in, in in the standard 10-team leagues?
2: Well, it's funny because I actually just traded him last week in Tout Wars. Uh, I made a deal with uh, Zach Steinhorner of MLB.com where I dealt Blackman and Villar, and I got back Justin Upton and Chapman. Now, again... The need-based trade, and I know Blackman's the best player in the deal, but my offense is fantastic. Where I'm lacking is pitching. Pitching killed me, and this year with Chapman, he's going to give me saves. He's going to give me ratio. He's going to give me K, He's going to give me everything. And Villar's value at its peak was coming back from this injury before he came back. The fact that he came back today and did not start—that's not good for his values. Right yeah. now, if you're a Villar owner, you're stuck with him. You're hoping that he turns it around. Uh, if you are looking to acquire Velar, gotta be a little careful here. Get him cheap, that's fine. You can't pay anything close to draft day value for him, because right now, it's questionable how much he's going to play. Velar, in head-to-head category leagues, still has value, because he doesn't have to play every day to steal your bases and to be useful in that sense. So that's the only format where I could say Velar is still the guy that I could, I could stomach owning, but right now it's, it's tenuous. It's a bad spot. And sometimes you got to know when it be wrong. You know, I, I, I spent money on the auction there on that day on Villar. I thought that maybe you would hit at least a dozen home runs and still give me 50 steals. And so far, mm-hmm. that doesn't look like a good total. And you have to know when you say, OK, no matter how much good work you do, no matter what you do, part of being good at fantasy baseball is learning when to roll with the punches and when to get out, when to get in on players. And sometimes, for better or worse, you got to make tough decisions.
1: So Joey Votto has turned into quite the power power hitter. He hits number 21 tonight. He's pacing at about 42. Do you think he hits that 40 mark? It would start it would set a new career high for him.
2: I don't. I'm going to say at some point he hits a bad streak there and I think he probably finishes somewhere around 35. But I I think it's a fantastic year for Votto. It's great to see the power finally. That was my big knock on Votto is every year, you know, you never knew where the home run total was going to be. It would fluctuate every year and it's a fantastic season for him, and he's utilizing the ballpark and hitting on the road, hitting left, he's hitting right, he's hitting everything. So it's a great year for Votto, and uh, who knows? Maybe he's trying to play his way off that team, too.
1: Yeah, I want to get my plug in for him uh, hitting in the home run derby. I think it would be so sweet, Joe, to have him go up, choke up on the bat two to three inches, and, and beat everyone right. in the home run derby. He probably could, and if he did, he probably would then lose five home runs off. <laughs> that 40 home run pace, right? Yeah. Alex Cobb takes a no-no into the seventh tonight. So he goes eight innings, zero earned runs, and four Ks. He now has a quality start in his last four appearances without allowing two earned runs in any of them or over two earned runs in any of them. Is he a streaming guy? Take an old line from uh, from Matthew Berry. Is he above the Wandy line for you?
2: He is. He's trending in the right direction. And I think with guys with Tommy John, the thing that comes around last is that feel and that touch. And I think he's finally getting that back. And the we'll last starts you see it a little bit where, you know, the velocity hasn't been the issue for him. It's been the feel and location. That's where guys tend to struggle. And I think if he's starting to get that back. There's a really good chance that they're going to move on from him. And he's pitching his way into a good ballpark and, and a good, uh, ball club, I should say. So if he ends up on a Houston, or if he ends up in Los Angeles, that would be a great landing spot for him, especially now that Urius definitely not going to be a contributor this year. Or maybe even next year, depending on that surgery. I think Cobb would be fantastic in the National League with Dodgers. So. Yeah, that uh, would be sweet. Alone, I would certainly look to adding him wherever I can.
1: So I wanted to play a, a player pick him with you with Luis Severino. He's got 12 Ks through seven innings right now. Um, 107 Ks on the year with a 3.25 ERA. I wanted to play a player pick him with you. Would you take Robbie Ray or Luis Severino? Mm,
2: that's a good question. Um, I'm going to take Severino because Severino was supposed to be this pitcher. And I think when, you know, I don't want to knock Robbie Ray. He's had a great season. And he's a fantastic strikeout artist, but there's still splits about Robbie Ray home road that are troubling and some other things to dig deeper into his profile that, you know, there's some things you can knock him on. With Severino, this is the guy, he was, supposed to, he was supposed to be an ace. He dominated every level of the minor league. He came up last year was so bad. It was something we all were scratching our heads. Him and Barrios, yeah. everyone kept looking at each other and saying, this is not supposed to be like this. It should be better than this. And it wasn't. It got awful. And I think now you're seeing Severino, you should. So Severino over Robbie Ray, all across the board, Keeper leagues especially. But, yeah, I'll, I'll take Severino.
1: Okay, what about McCullers, Lance McCullers?
2: Oh, that's a tougher one. Uh, I'll tell you this much. I'm more confident in Severino's ability to stay healthy Okay. Last year he had some arm issues and another guy that's still building up stamina, whereas Severino's had some longer seasons in his minor league track record, so I don't worry about him as much. So I think McCullers is having the better season, but I think that if you ask me who I feel better about pitching the rest of the year, I'd probably take Severino. A little safer, but kind of splitting hairs right now. That's a good one. That's tough.
1: Okay, what about Archer?
2: Mm, that's another one that's hard. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna take Archer because uh, for the same reason. Now I feel better about Severino lasting than McCullers, but there's also nothing to say that in Severino's first full season of the big leagues, that once he hits around 140 innings or so that he hits the wall and gets tired. I'm not worried about that. And if I'm a team in the standings that's doing well, Archer's the guy I feel best about giving me good innings in August and into the playoff scenarios in September. So Archer, for track record and stamina purposes, gets a slight nudge above several.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on all those. I, I accept McCullers. I think I would take McCullers. Give me the little bit um higher risk, injury profile risk, but I, I think he's got a little bit more uh ceiling than Severino. Um as far as the ERA, I, I think he's got a, a good chance to keep that ERA a little bit lower than Severino.
2: Yeah, it's that's that's a tough one. It really is. And it just depends on what the rest of your rotation looks like to you. How well can you balance that risk? Do you have a bunch of guys on there that you feel good about or is your rotation a bunch of guys that you're waiting for the other two to drop?
1: So I while I was making these notes, uh Joe, Mike fires had, uh, had gone like five innings without giving up a run. And then I, I'm looking right now and he, he got hit around and I, I was starting to, to put the narrative together. Like, man, how is this guy doing this? You know, he's had a crazy month, but he gives up four arm runs. He does strike out seven tonight, only makes it through five and two thirds. But, um, that narrative kind of shifted quickly there. He, he kind of is who we thought he was.
2: Well, Fires has done this before. He teases us. He has these stretches where he looks like a fantastic fantasy pitcher, and then he has stretches where he looks like a guy that you want to absolutely cut to the waiver wire as fast as possible. Like, <laughs> you want to do it in the middle of a start. That's how annoying and frustrating he can be. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I wish he had gotten with a great pitching coach at some point in his career because the talent is there. You see these moments where he has these stretches over five, even ten starts. It looks like just, I mean... The moments the last couple of years with the Brewers in the past where he looks like a guy who's gonna break out. A lot like Paxton, you know, where you're just waiting and waiting and it just never happens. But fires right now is you know, is on a great run. Yeah, tonight, you know, started off really good and then maybe not ending as well as you like. But uh, you know, right now he's locked in. Right now, if you're streaming him, great. But remember it's just a temporary thing.
1: Yeah, and just an update on that—that that closer situation that you were mentioning, the, the the Rangers closer situation. Matt Bush came in and, and got to, got a save, only allowed a hit, Um, but he got the save. So that Bush isn't burning as much as it was uh a couple a couple days ago. He, he's got two saves in a row now,
2: which is good. They should give him confidence to realize that he can have a bad day or do a job, and that's that's a problem. You know, everybody wants to win ball games, but. You know, when you're trying to groom young players for roles, you have to have a certain amount of patience. That's going to, you know, ever keep someone solidified in a role. I mean, the, the lack of patience of these guys is infuriating.
1: Yeah, Joe, it was great to have you on, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. We got to do it again sometime. Uh, again, sometime. It was it was great.
2: Absolutely, man. Great job, and uh, I appreciate you asking me.
1: All right, well, we're out, guys. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks
0: for tuning in to the Rotorize Fantasy Baseball Podcast, where we help you rise in your fantasy standings. Did you know you can get custom expert fantasy team reviews on the web at rotorizefantasy.com, where we offer top free agent pickups, standing analysis, and trade ideas, all done by a real-life fantasy expert.
2: You can put it on the board. Boom, out of here.